And welcome to tonight's Sunday Night Sit Down. I am your host this evening, Kahari Mosley. So excited to be here uh, for another edition of the Sunday Night Sit Down. And as we mentioned in previous episodes, this season is going to be all about sitting down, doing one-on-ones with the candidates who will be asking for your vote in the 2022 midterm. And, and today we have someone who I've known for a very long time, who I have a ton of respect for, who recently announced her candidacy for the seat that is being vacated by uh, Mayor Ed Ganey. You know, we've been talking a lot about this race over the past few weeks. This is going to be one of the most closely watched races of this cycle. And, and just before Tasha, and just to give you a little bit of a background again, there is some technical differences between a special election and a primary election and a general election. So just to walk everybody through the process of what's happening, it's true in the 24th district, which is the East End and parts of Wilkinsburg, as well as the 19th district, which is the Hill District, Northside, Hazelwood, and, and some of the Southern Hilltop communities. Former state rep, now Mayor Ed Ganey, and former state rep, um, now Chief of Staff Jake Wheatley, have, have both now officially resigned their offices. Obviously, Mayor Ganey earlier in January this week, Jake Wheatley resigned his seat. And what that does is trigger a special election to, to identify representatives who will serve the remainder of the term, which is the rest of this calendar year. So there will be a special election on April 5th to decide who will fulfill the remainder of now Mayor Ganey's seat and who will uh, fulfill the remainder of former State Representative Jake Wheatley's seat as well. Both of those elections will be happening on April 5th. But you know, we are going through a redistricting process, which we've been talking about a lot as well. And in that redistricting process, new lines will be drawn. And, and in that process, there will be a primary election that's supposed to be held on May 17th. We hope that will still hold, but there's been a delayed process with getting the maps out. So again, that's just a little bit of background on the process that we're going to go through a special election on April 5th, primary election with everybody involved on May 17th or maybe a later date, depending on when the maps finally get approved and the whole process gets finalized. But with all the very lengthy civics lesson, it is my true honor uh, to bring on Latasha Mays as our guest on the Sunday night sit down, a candidate um, in, this, in the special election and I believe in the primary for the seat being vacated by Ed Ganey, um, and that's the State House District 24 in the East End of Pittsburgh. So uh, welcome to the Sunday Night Sit Down, Natasha. So excited to have you on. Thank you so much, Kahari. It's my pleasure to be here with you tonight and uh, excited for our conversation. This is something I've looked forward to for a long time, given our long history of engaging some of Pittsburgh's most marginalized communities to enter into the center of power in this, in this community and across the state and in this country. So this is going to be really exciting. Covered. Awesome. Yes. So thank thank you so so much uh, for joining us. And, and, and again, you know, for, for the viewers, we're being joined by Latasha Mays, candidate for the State House District 24, the Eastern of Pittsburgh, the seat that was recently vacated by now Mayor A. Ganey. So just jumping right 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 into it, you know, uh, a lot of folks in 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 the political circles and activist circles and advocacy circles and policy circles know you very well. You know, I know there's obviously a lot of uh, voters you're going to be introducing yourself to on the East End over these next couple months. You know, what are some of the things that you bring to the table that you feel separates you 
from a field that appears to be growing by the day. I think, you know, when we first booked this, it was four <laughs> candidates and now there's a large field of candidates. What, what, do you, what do you feel separates you from the crowd? I, there are a lot of things that separate me. For me, it's important to just establish a little bit of who I am. I do. I don't take it for granted that people know who I am. And so I want to say to all the uh, viewers and listeners out there, you know, my name is Latasha D. Mays. I use she, her pronoun, pronouns. And I'm a longtime community organizer in Pittsburgh and in this district. And truly, I have been and I am a public servant at heart. And I'm running to disrupt politics as usual. And that's really reflective of who I've been as a, a local, national, as well as, and particularly a statewide leader for the last, for over 22 years. And so that's who I am. Many of you know me from my work as president and CEO of New Voices for Reproductive Justice, which I founded with three amazing Black women in 2004. So we are coming up on 18 years of, move, we're coming up on 18 years of building the movement for reproductive justice that started right here in Pittsburgh that has grown and expanded and evolved into a multi-state Rust Belt movement. And so I'm excited to, and I'm honored to have led the work of New Voices during this time. So in terms of uniqueness, I bring the power of intersectionality. I bring that not only into how I approach my community organizing, it, I bring all of who I am into anything that I do, my work, my service, and my leadership. And running for elected office, that's, that wouldn't be any different. I'm deeply committed to justice at the places where we are fighting intersectional oppression. I'm bringing the power of intersectionality and in how I look at strategy and how I look at institutions and political systems and how so many issues that are impacting our communities are treated in a silo when they need to be treated at the same time or intersecting with other key issues in not only in 24th district, but in the greater Pittsburgh region. So I am bringing the power of intersectionality. I am a, a proud black, lesbian, feminist, cisgender woman. And I'm, you know, I'm bringing all that to the table. I'm bringing all of myself to a race that is about the present and future of the 24th. Thank you for that. My next question is about your motivation. And as you said, you're someone um, who is known at the national level, um, has been you know, appointed to statewide boards by the governor, as well as you know, cut your teeth doing local organizing work here, here in Pittsburgh. You know, you know, you could obviously, you know, continue to do your work at the national level and you know, be in DC and be in San Francisco and be in New York and meet with funders and and, and do what you've been doing. You know, what has precipitated, you know, you know, this direction change from, you know, the, this, what you've built over the last two decades, you know, to decide that, okay, I'm, I'm going to, you know, take this opportunity and, and take my experience and go to local office. So what was the motivation that brought you to that decision? That's a great question. And I, I just want to note that, you know, running, running for elected office is a part of my history already. It's a part of my story already. I had the opportunity to run twice. I ran for Democratic Committee in 2006 uh, when I was living in Highland Park. When I moved to Morningside in 2015, I ran for City Council in District 7. 
And so this is not a new direction for me. I just think that, you know, it is an extension of the work that I've done for these 20 years, you know, largely in my role at New Voices. But this is elected life and uh, electoral justice, as well as political campaigning and organizing. That's been deeply entrenched in my leadership journey. I've worked on many campaigns from from state representative to lieutenant governor. I think you remember that race. I worked on school board races. I worked on the governor's race. And you name it, and you name the level of elected office. I, I have campaign experience in support and leading different aspects of campaigns over many years as well. So I think I, I'm, I'm appreciating this conversation because I feel like people can get the to know me, you know, even beyond my my work for reproductive justice, which does encompass a lot of key issues. But I have such a deep knowledge and breadth, breadth and depth of experience that I'm hoping that people can come to learn and learn in this campaign and just learn as they learn more about me. And so what really has prompted me to to run at this point is that, you know, I've always been an advocate, an organizer, and activist for social justice and social change, including racial justice, gender justice, and economic justice. So those things really center and anchor who I am as a leader. And, and so in any place or space that I am, I am in or where I find myself, I'm bringing all of that to the table. So I always, I, I tell people as we're out here campaigning, I'm not, ask, I'm not saying that when I'm elected, when I'm elected to represent them, that I'm going to Harrisburg, the way I feel is that we are going to Harrisburg. Those of us who have been on the margins, those of us who feel ignored, those of us who literally like the Capitol was not intended for us to be there uh, because of our identity, because of our race or our gender, or our orientation or gender expression, we, you know, in the, even in those places I'm bringing, we're all going, we all going to Harrisburg is how I feel. So I feel like there are so many key issues, key progressive issues where that fight is in Harrisburg, whether it's reproductive justice, Roe v. Wade and abortion access, whether it's protecting some of our, some of our most vulnerable communities, including youth, LGBTQ folks, and the elderly, that fight is in Harrisburg as well as the fight of our generation to protect our environment for all people, that fight is in Harrisburg. And so luckily I'm a, I'm a fighter and I've worked every single day in this community. Every single day that I've lived in the Pittsburgh community has been dedicated to social justice, has been dedicated to, to try to create some type of change, positive change in the lives of, of those who want and need and desire it most. Thank you so much, man. And just sticking to, you know, with your, you know, experience around reproductive justice, you know, issues, and we are going to move to other issues that are in, in your wheelhouse, but I do want to just focus a little bit, you know, on your depth of experience, you know, specifically focusing on reproductive justice issues and the betterment of Black women's lives. You know, how do you plan to use your experience specifically in that work as a state representative? Well, I say that the movement for reproductive justice has prepared me to take on this role to serve as an elected policymaker and legislator. And here are a few ways that I've been prepared for these decades 
to to on day one be able to be an effective uh, principal and, cons and consistent leader in Harrisburg and in, and in the 24th legislative district on the ground and in all of its important communities. So one, I'm bringing policy expertise. Because of the nature of reproductive justice, it is intersectional. So I have to, I've had to learn not only like what we consider core, core reproductive health and rights policy, I've also had to really deepen my knowledge around other policies, my, you know, deepen my understanding like on so many levels and how so many forms of oppression work together just as so many policies work together to either advantage or disadvantage certain communities, our most marginalized communities. So I've developed a policy expertise over these 20 years that is extremely broad. And in some areas I have great depth, but I, I definitely have the basics down on so many policy issues. And in, in my own personal life, while we know policy and politics, you can't learn in a classroom, but I, I had the opportunity to study public policy and management at Carnegie Mellon University. And, you know, while there were great concepts that I could take and apply to my work, it was what I learned by actually being in Harrisburg as an advocate, as a thought leader, uh, as an organizer that has made a difference. I'm going into Harrisburg with the relationships also on day one, but years of building relationships with not only legislators, but non-elected policymakers who work across different parts of the government, uh, whether it's Department of State or if it's Department of uh, Public Welfare or I'm sorry, Department of, Department of Human Services. They changed the name some years back. So please forgive me for misspeaking on that, but also relationships from when I I worked in state government. I was a legislative aide to former rep Jake Wheatley, as well as my most recent experience as a, a as a commissioner on the Governor's Commission on African American Affairs. So those are just like some of the ways that I've been able to build extensive and and really long and and complex and just very fruitful relationships where I get calls about legislation being introduced from legislators or their staffers or committees, where I'm called upon to stand with the governor when it's time to veto the six-week abortion ban because of his own commitment to ensuring reproductive justice and abortion. You know, where I'm called to speak to stakeholders across the state who are committed to, to Black maternal health and, you know, speaking with, speaking with the leadership in the governor's administration, particularly in the Department of Health, being able to have access to those leaders by virtue of my respected work for, for 20 plus years is what I'm bringing to the table. Uh, so I mentioned some of my previous experiences in state government, power mapping, and that's an organizing term. But you have to, we have to bring our skills that we have developed from organizing into political spaces, legislative spaces and electoral spaces. And I would be bringing that. Power mapping is how we ever, that's how we win. That's understanding your, your political landscape and moving your leverage points to actually win concrete change. And so organizing strategy, I think I, what I'm able to do is organize in multiple places. In any realm, I see it as an organizing opportunity, a community organizing opportunity and for me, that's always with those who are first and most impacted, 
by oppression at the, at, in mind and at the center of anything that I'm doing. And understanding the legislative process is an important, it's, it's the most important process for a legislator, of course, but there are so many other ways to win and move and make concrete changes for our constituents, for those that we serve, for those who come, who, you know, who seek the help and resources and access to information to their elected officials. There's so many ways that we can have great impact in, in the lives of those that we serve. And it's not always a legislative victory. It's, it's just by nature, the configuration of the legislature, that isn't the path currently, especially for Democrats. So there's administrative advocacy, there's budgetary advocacy, there's also legal advocacy that can be employed as a part of this of all the many ways that we can move important issues, move progressive issues in the legislature. And sticking, you know, you know, you know, with the legislature, sticking with, you know, District 24, moving on to, you know, wider array of, array of issues, you know, you know, are some of the issues that we haven't tackled yet in our conversation that you think need to be highlighted and in and, and, and ways that you want to use the office, you know, to address those issues. I mean, I mean, that's as as people, that's what all we have so many issues. Right. So we are always excuse me. We're always strategizing around how to win on in all the ways that impact the residents of any community. So I do want to I, I want to talk about COVID-19. I want to talk about relief and what recovery even looks or feels like as we enter into year three of a pandemic, of a global health pandemic that we know disproportionately impacted Black and brown communities, women and femmes and gender expansive folk that we know imp impacted our youth, our elder folks with low incomes. We know that COVID only exposed what was all, already systems and institutions uh, that were failing us. And so COVID only served to expose the insidiousness of all of the oppression that so many people are facing each. And so when I'm talking about COVID-19 relief, like just to be clear, we're still in a pandemic. And I, I think in some ways we act as if we aren't. And I'm not saying that to be flippant. I'm not, I'm not stating the obvious. I just think the way that we handle, we're, you know, we're handling some critical pieces in our community almost acts as if COVID isn't still in play, that COVID isn't still devastating Black communities in particular. So we're, and, and so I, I speak about this because these past two years in Leading New Voices, we really had to shift to, we really had to shift to, you know, direct service and thinking like, wow, well, we're social justice you know, activists and change makers and policy advocates. But at the end of the day, people needed they, their basic needs met. And so what we had to do, and at my direction, was to look at what we could impact, what, what was already available for people, for those who are living on the margins, what was already available to them during COVID-19 and what, where, was there, where was there intersections where there were huge gaps. And so for us, that was diapers and menstrual products. That was free emergency contraception. It was cash grants. It was free laundry services. 
we hosted a, a toy drive and distribution. It was so many things. It was so many things that our communities needed because of we, my understanding of intersectionality. We knew we had to meet basic needs before we are in asking people to fight for justice. And it's the bread and roses school of thought or concept. You know, we have to make sure people's basic needs are met. And that was essential during COVID. And how do we continue to do that during and beyond COVID? How do we cre create systems of mutual aid? And because, you know, in some ways, government is, it, it should be serving the people, but we know that it doesn't. We know that it doesn't. So in the ways that we can't rely on our government, what other kind of systems can we create? And I'm not just trying to be a part of a government that doesn't adequately serve the people. I'm trying to be part of a government that is responsive, that is part of the landscape and ecosystem that makes sure makes sure that makes sure that we that are those we serve, those that we are called to serve and have what they need. And that I'm I want to be a part of that. And and that's almost a continuing of the role that I have been playing for so many years. Childcare, housing, education, the rights of workers in general, but essential workers, especially when we're talking about our, the, the very front lines but in terms of nurses who are really fighting this COVID-19 battle. You know, when it comes to small businesses, their ability to survive during COVID, like these are all issues that are of great concern, concern to me. And, I, and for me, it is one of my core platform issues. But you see, I'm talking about it in an intersectional way. There's also millions of dollars coming to our community through the American Rescue Plan and how making sure that the ways that that money was distributed both to the county and to the city is distributed how it was intended, that it's accountable and that it's transparent. And, and that those dollars are going to impact the communities of the 24th legislative district. So I, I, I don't want to keep going because I could, but COVID-19, I think, is is really set front and center for me, and it encompasses so many other related and intersectional policy issues. I thank you so much. I just have a, a couple more um, questions. Uh, and one of them is, is, a, is a conversation that's gone on a lot, you know, here in the Pittsburgh region, a question about the the kind of built-in racial inequity within the Pittsburgh region. You know, what are what are your thoughts uh, about how you can play a role in addressing the systemic inequities within our region? You know, as a state legislator. Well, a state legis a state a state legislator is like any other concerned community member, and 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 you have influence to either make legislative or policy changes or the other forms of advocacy that I've mentioned already, but you are a thought leader. You are, you have a platform that, that is greater than so many other, like people who are living and working, uh, trying to make ends meet, trying to live their lives. State legislators have a platform. And so I'm always, as I have done already, I'm always going to use that platform to talk about justice, to talk about change to talk about um, and structural racism, talk about the intersection of uh, race and sexism, racism and sexism or misogynoir. Like I'm always gonna be using my platform in a way that's elevating where we are missing the mark around, you know, making the city, making the, the, 
our our city and region livable for all people, not even most livable, just livable, <laughs> would be great. A great start is that everybody has equal social, economic, and political opportunity. So I think thought leadership and 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 using platforms is always the way. But for me, I'm about collaboration and solutions. So I am not one to talk. I think anybody who knows me and my work, you know, I get the job done, no matter what it is. I can I can get the job done because of my relationship, because of my background and expertise, because of my leadership, because of my long history in this community, to, to be able to actually come up with real solutions. And if there's dollars or funding needed for those solutions, to be able to, to, to really lean on my decades of fundraising, if needed, you know, if we aren't able to get allocations in our budget, that's not the only source of funding. While we always want to see equitable budgeting um, in the state budget, I think we have to be more open to how we can actually accomplish the things that we want to see. If we always stick to the current strategy and playbook, we're, we, we may never have the opportunity to win the game. We have to be more original and more creative and more intersectional and, and innovative in our thinking. And so for me, that's I'm bringing that. I'm bringing a fresh perspective, Kahari. I'm bringing a, a bold vision for change. And, and that is what fuels and motivates me every single day. I think you remember when the report came out from the, the, the city of Pittsburgh Gender Commission. New Voices, first of all, I want to say was instrumental in the creation of that commission. So we were deeply disappointed to see research that was really, a, that the, it, was, it, was telling, it was telling a story without having the people who lived the experience to tell our own story. So there is not just numbers, it's people. It's not just statistics, it's real life. And so what we, what we felt was lacking, and not only me and other uh, leaders, Black women leaders in this community, you know, we, we called that report out because we didn't feel that, it, we felt that it was another way to exploit the lived experiences of Black women and folks. And so for me, I'm never going to sit there and not speak the truth or not speak about justice or not speak for power for those who may not be able to speak that for themselves. And that my ability to organize people in any situation, in any realm, is, is the greatest skill that I'm bringing to the table. Thank you so much for that. I have one um, quick question before we get it, get into housekeeping. And, 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 the, and the question is, you know, you, like you said, you have a reputation, you know, for getting the job done. But as you know, you know, if you are elected to the House of Representatives, you'll be one of, of, of 203. So how will you balance, you know, your 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 sense of your own expectations, you know, and, and your own assertive nature to get things done, you know, with, you know, you know, obviously the sausage making, you know, the very slow process that could be the legislative process and keeping you know, your constituency engaged that oftentimes, as we see at the federal level, gets very frustrated when the legislative process doesn't work as efficiently as well. Well, I will start by saying that I, I've been on the side of pushing for change and not feeling like things were moving quickly enough. So I understand that perspective first and foremost. What I've come to learn in my work, my leadership, my service to this community is that the change that we want to see, we want, we want immediate change. We want it now, right? That's always our posture. I'm here for all of that. And I also know how government works at a glacial pace. I know that 
the victories that we want to see, we don't always get them full stop. It comes in, in phases and waves. So I think the way to keep people engaged is for them to be part of the solutions when we're strategizing around the politics of specific issues. So I, I always feel and have to believe that there's always a win to be had. And so how do we build upon the wins to have the great victories that we always are seeking? Because nothing that has ever been accomplished happened overnight. It, it never has been that way. It's always been years in the making. And so we see that we're in, we're in a time where we've elected our first black mayor. But guess what? That day, that moment was possible because of generations of organizing by the greats from our community. And of course, I have to mention and honor Alma Speed Fox, who for 70 years worked to organize in this community as a Black woman in the 1950s and 60s, taking on large institutions so bravely, so unapologetically, but she was clear about what she wanted to do. And so I, I think that we have to understand that some things can happen quickly. Some things take a mo more moderate pace and some things are slower than we could ever hope or dream. And so where do we want to move the needle on, on certain issues or certain aspects of the victory we're trying to achieve? What are things that can happen today? For example, incarcerated women and birthing folks were being shackled. They were being shackled during pregnancy in the Allegheny County Jail. This was going on for years. And you know what needed to change, Kahari? It was just a, it was a policy around trans, transporting inmates. And with one change in policy, and you had to do training, and you had to have accountability, but we were able to end that practice right here in Allegheny County. Now, that practice still, ha still happens. I want to be very clear about that. Even with victories, you still have to make sure there's accountability. So it's, you know, shackling is still happening in the county jail. Even when I and others helped to pass a statewide legislation to end shackling of pregnant incarcerated folks, it was all it was up to a certain part in the, the birthing process or a certain trimester. And so that means that even when we win policy, it may not, it's not, it's not always perfect. That policy or piece of legislation is always negotiated. So you have to come back and push for even stronger policy. So I know that legislation and policy is part of a broader, part of a broader political advocacy organized landscape to get to the ultimate goals that we want to see, especially around defeating white supremacy and patriarchal violence. So I think we have to give people a fuller picture and really change expectations about, you know, we want our institutions to be accountable. And we have to be able to know where our leverage points are. And I, and I think that's a more, I, I, we have to have a more complicated approach to how to win. Thank you so much. And can you please share with our viewers and listeners uh, how they can learn more about you and how they can get in touch with your campaign? Well, thank you so much, Kahari. You can follow me at Latasha4PA on social and Latasha4PA.com is my website for my campaign. If you're looking for my other pages, D-U-X-F-E-M-F-A-C, Ducks Ads on Instagram and Twitter. 
Thanks so much for that. And our final um, question, we call this the, the miracle question. We always try to end on a positive vibe. Tell us what brings you joy. Well, some people, some of, some of you may know, some of you may not know, but I love music and I actually DJ. I go by DJ Dark and Stormy. And so I do it. It's purely for, it's purely for my own joy, my own black joy. I don't, it's not something I do professionally, but it is a hobby as organizers, activists, those of us committed to justice and social change, it's consuming because it's our passion. It's it's the work that we love. But I had to find balance, especially because our work is nonstop. So I had to find things that help to not only bring balance, but take me into a different realm and not always have your mind thinking about how we're going to strategize for this, how we're going to win for that. Like, how can we actually just chill out sometimes? How can we relax? How can we have self-care? But how can we have joy more than anything? And so DJing brings me joy. It's like the one thing that I do where I don't think about anything else. And so you might catch DJ Dark and Stormy on the campaign trail, you know, just to put that out. Uh, that's what's up. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Latasha Mays, candidate for the Pennsylvania State House District 24 here tonight on the Sunday Night Sit Down. Thank you so much for joining us. Best of luck on the campaign trail. We will definitely be in touch and, and look forward uh, to contacting you and other candidates for our upcoming candidate forum. But until then, again, uh, best of luck and looking forward to talking to you very soon. Thank you so much, Kahari. Thank you to One Hood Power. It's my honor to to be here tonight. And, and I look forward. I'm excited and energized by the opportunity to serve as the next state representative for the 24th Legislative District. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us. And that was Latasha Mays, candidate for the Pennsylvania State House in District 24. That was tonight's Sunday night sit down. Thank you so much uh, for joining us. Tomorrow night, we have another very, very important episode, which is a great segue from the conversation that we just had with Latasha Mays. We will be doing a special preview of both special elections that will be happening. In uh, Western Pennsylvania, we have Chris Potter from WESA. We have Ryan Dito, formerly of the Pittsburgh City Paper, now with the Pittsburgh Tribune Review, and David Dix, a Harrisburg-based campaign consultant and government relations specialist. So we're very, very, very excited about talking about all the candidates running in the 19th Legislative District, all the candidates running in the 24th Legislative District for those two special elections that will be held on April 5th, 2020. So please join us tomorrow night for the One Hood Power Hour, where again, we will be talking all about the special elections happening on April 5th. Until then, I have a great night. Thank you so much for uh, joining us for the Sunday night sit down. For One Hood Power, this is Kahari Mosley. Thank you for joining us and have a good night.